you were to have a daughter and what would you tell her about being married or about finding a spouse, what would be, that message be for you? Take your time. Really relish every little piece of every stage of dating and getting to know someone. And when you have questions, you just take your time and you get those questions answered and don't feel rushed down any aisle because as soon as the wedding is over, you will feel very, very, very alone in that new living room that you're sitting in um, with a husband that doesn't treat you well. Hai teman-teman, ini Tanya, host podcast Janda Bercanda, channel khusus yang didedikasikan untuk kesejahteraan para janda, untuk kesehatan mental, personal development, single parenting, dan femalepreneurship. Hari ini kita kedatangan tamu dari Los Angeles, California. Seorang psikolog yang mengupas masalah trauma yang berakar dari belenggu keagamaan. Dimana masalah peraturan agama yang diniatkan untuk menjadi paduan tatanan hidup disalahgunakan menjadi belenggu. Tamu kita bercerita tentang pengalamannya sendiri dibesarkan dalam kondisi agama yang sangat strict. Sedemikian striknya sampai ketika mau menikah, pertimbangan yang ada bagi keluarganya hanya apakah calonnya seiman dan secara garis besar dikenal sebagai orang baik. Tapi tidak ada pertimbangan cocok sama sekali antara calon istri dan suami. Parahnya lagi, setelah menikah, sang suami sering menolak istri dan menggunakan alasan agama istri harus lamanya patuh dengan suami walaupun ditelantarkan dan disakiti. Disinilah tamu kita mulai menyadari bahwa alasan kepatuhan dalam rumah tangga itu digunakan sebagai dali dan tidak semestinya agama digunakan sebagai senjata untuk membodohi dan melemahkan istri. Disinilah tamu kita mulai menyadari bahwa alasan kepatuhan dalam rumah tangga itu digunakan sebagai dalih dan tidak semestinya agama digunakan sebagai senjata untuk membodohi dan melemahkan istri. Dia ingin dengan berbagai ceritanya untuk para pendengar bisa dengan bijak untuk membedakan ketika kepatuhan kepada suami yang diminta itu apakah beralasan atau hanya suatu alat untuk mengontrol sang istri. So without further ado, I present to you psychologist and friend to the Janda Bajanda podcast, Dr. Quincy Gideon. This is the channel that's dedicated for the welfare of widows and divorcees and so. Well, I'm happy to be here. I am all too excited to have you here. <laughs> so when we have um, therapists, psychiatrists, coaches on the show, it's always a favorite for the followers because it's always the most heartfelt and the most much needed help for our, for people to listen to. And in your particular case, you are also agenda. So agenda <laughs> yes. therapist, so even better. And. <laughs> and um, thank you for taking the time. It's you're in Utah. Where where are you? I am in Los Angeles. Oh, yes, I forgot. Sorry. Okay. Did you yes. used to live in Utah? Why do I have a a Utah reference for you? Okay, so. <laughs> I have hiked many mountains in Utah, uh, but no, I've never lived there. Okay, I got that wrong. I, I must have picked that up somehow incorrectly, and from one of your reels, which oh yes, yeah, as, and I travel uh, there a lot to backpack and camp and all of that. So you might have picked it up. I along see. That. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of reels, you, your Instagram reels are amazing. I love them. <laughs> Thank you. If you knew where I was just even six months ago and my sweaty armpit uh, sort of experience <laughs> around um, being more like showing my face on social media and all of that good yeah. stuff. I actually think that that was very embedded in my divorce, which we can talk about. Okay. Uh, but even... Six months ago, I was terrified to put myself out there. I liked curated, beautiful um, images to put out into the world that like helped someone mm -hmm. identify the symptoms of trauma or depression or something like that. But yeah. for me to get, you know, 
close and personal with the camera was very uncomfortable. And now I feel inspired and I'm like ready. I see a reel and I'm like, ooh, what if I did it this way? So it's it's sort of transformed for me in the last couple of months. Unbelievable. Even an IG reel can have um, <laughs> a healing pattern to it. Um, I am on only two reels in, so three reels in because I deleted one. And that just shows you... <laughs> Um, the level of emotional immaturity. And the one that I deleted, of course, has, was the one that had me in it. Mm, mm. So now I'm listening to you and I'm like, mm, okay, all right. I know, you just got to do that uncomfortable <laughs> action and just put it out there and know that the first 10 are going to be so terrible. So just get them out of the way. Just get okay. those 10 out there, post them out there, have fun, learn transitions, learn mm. all the different parts of it that like the countdown, the countdown changed my life. I was like, oh, <laughs> so there okay. is a function that will help me stand back from the camera okay. and it will count me down. I mean, my God, I'm a therapist. I am not a social media <laughs> person. <laughs> well, so, social media anxiety is going to be a thing that is, people will yeah. have to, well, it's not, it's not going to be, thing. is a thing that mm-hmm. people are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing that, um, you posted once is that I'm a mil- millennial and I'm having a hard time with the recording or something. We're going to get this right. I was like, hang on a second. She's a millennial. I was like, millennials are getting divorced already. I was yeah. like, what? They're like babies, aren't they? And I was like, how old am I? Wait, hang on a yeah, second. Millennials are actually, most of us are in our like mid thirties. Um, mm-hmm. That blows yeah. my mind. That blows my mind because, you know, you hear the term millennials, you think they're in I know, I think that we uh, somehow got a bad rap um, somewhere around university, college age, and it has just followed us since. I so, see. yeah, most, most millennials are actually in their mid-30s and at home taking care of families and babies and on a divorce and into their second marriages. Yeah, that's where <laughs> we are generationally. Yeah, great. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So, all right. Today with Dr. Quincy Gideon. Uh, millennial, self-professed millennial, IG real specialist, uh, all the way from Los Angeles. So tell me, what is your Janda story sure. if you'd like to start there? Uh, I I can't hardly talk about my divorce, my marriage and my divorce without talking about the really dogmatic cult-like environment that I grew up in. Um, it was a church. Um, it had all of the makings mm-hmm. of the modern American Christian church, but it was a little extra intense and a little extra culty, uh, which meant that there was lots of in-group versus out-group, lots of rules around dating, lots of rules around how women could behave in the world, what we were allowed to do, what we were allowed to say, who we were allowed to be. And that was most of my socialization. I never felt great about it, but in some ways I was very scared of all of the things that church kids are scared of, going to hell, uh, losing God's blessing, uh, having horrible relationships because you didn't follow the rules that were given to you. So I grew up in that church and really kind of followed all of the dating rules. I'm talking... um, We were uh, made to read this book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which meant that there was like no dating. There was no, we couldn't even handhold. We couldn't even hug. You had to side hug. Um, It took dating off the table and meant that you had to court, which meant that um, you had a very official type of relationship. You had to be chaperoned all of the time and you kissed for the first time on your wedding day like at the end of the aisle. Okay. That that was sort of the church environment that I grew up in. So um, I didn't follow all of those rules, but I followed most of them. And I ended up um, partnered up with someone that was very involved in a very evangelical conservative Christian church as well. And 
Um, mm-hmm. I we did, we followed all the rules. We uh, moved into that marriage, and almost immediately, it was pretty miserable. There was lots of repression. Um, lots of we had no idea how to talk to one another. There was lots of um, what I would would say started off as just. Uh, rejection. Um, he rejected me a lot and it moved into like straight out mean, you know, verbally abusive behavior. I mean, it was, it was an intense experience. And so, um, I, in the midst of not having resources, not having finances, I was in the middle of my doctoral program. I had just moved to a new city to, uh, married, uh, and then a week later moved to a new city. Um, despite all of that, I had to really come to terms with the fact that I did not think that I could emotionally survive in that marriage. And that by leaving that marriage, I was also going to be totally abandoned by my community, uh, told that I was, you know, probably going to spend the rest of eternity in hell. <laughs> uh, I lost all of my friends. I, yeah, yeah, no big so, deal. No pressure, no, no big pressure. Deal. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so I, um, I was in, I started therapy at the time and felt for maybe for the first time that there was someone that was going, this doesn't sound like God. This is, this is not like something has to be questioned here. So I think that that's really where I started to put some labels or some words around religious trauma, religious repression, some of the sexual repression that I had gone through. And I really made every effort to try to fix it, come together with him. Um, it was, it was one of the more tortured experiences of my life that I just had never experienced that level of rejection and shame and hatefulness. Um, I'll even go so far as saying hatefulness. So yeah. So I decided that if I was going to lose it all, I was at least going to have my dignity. Um, I was at least going to have my self-respect and I found, I I found some incriminating pieces of evidence um, on his behalf that he had had many emotional relationships with other people. And so that this was something was not right. He was not coming clean about it. Um, And so I left. Okay. So he had relationships with other, not sexual, but he had relationships with other people. And um, that's interesting that you mentioned that because, um, I experienced that in my past marriage as well, where, you know, you, you realize that, I mean, some of that was the, I thought in my head, well, you know, they're just friends, but it's actually a little bit more to him. It's him escaping what we had when he didn't want to deal with me in some ways. And so that, a lot of what you said, even though it's case specific and some details are very specific to you, a lot of people can resonate, it resonates with many and a lot of people can relate to that. Um, even in, in Indonesia, where the majority of the religion here um, for us is uh, Islam. And uh, there is a lot of expectation out of a wife that would be called out and saying, well, a wife should do X, Y, and Z based on what the religious expectations are. So, and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it does not make sense. Sometimes it's used to control you. And... Um, it's sad to hear that. And I think a lot of young women should understand the difference. But in your case, you didn't even have, when you were growing up, up to the point where you even got married, there was no room for that to learn. Who would you have asked? Would you have asked your mom I, and said, I that, felt, is this right? I w- One of the things that happened right before we got married was that I had so much anxiety that was sort of 
unexplained. I couldn't hardly eat. I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. I was a nervous, anxious mess. And no one in my immediate circle could really put words to that. They couldn't help me understand why marriage had become the most terrifying thing. (laughs) And I was headed straight down the aisle in less than a month. Um, there was actually a lot of gaslighting that went on there. Like, um, you, you're just not ready for this sort of, um, role you'll get there. This is what God wants for you. Um, I had a lot of shame about what if I want to call off the wedding? Well, so much money has been spent. What about the social shame of all of this? What will people say? Um, I mean, there was so much of that, that I was so deeply invested in at that time. It's, it's hard to actually imagine myself in that space because I'm in such a different space now. Uh, but even as I talk about it, I'm like, yes, that's right. There's, that was where I was. I was so worried about losing everything. And the truth is, is that once you lose everything, it becomes less terrifying. You realize that that you didn't want that anyway. You didn't need those relationships. You can build better ones. You can, you'll pick yourself back up again. But in that season, I didn't know that I could survive losing everything. Right. Oh, gosh, so you yes. have lost your yes. friends from? I the never church heard from or? them after after I filed for yeah. divorce. I had a few that stuck around. Yeah. They're still good friends of mine. They. Wow. Um, I still feel very close to them, but it was very few, less than a handful. Mm-hmm. My oh family, my I think, how about your found family? one of the ways that they were able to reason through it in some ways is they felt like he had betrayed me. And so they felt like he had uh, tricked me okay. into a marriage when maybe he had relationships with other people or felt connected to other people, didn't want to be in that marriage. And so in some ways they were able to find some some, yeah, justification, some way to qualify uh, the the sort of act of divorce. But mm-hmm. it was a very shameful thing. I don't think uh, anyone in my family has necessarily come out and said, Quincy got a divorce. It was, well, that didn't work out. Um, or that, that marriage didn't, it, it mm-hmm. ended. You know, just even the word divorce, I think, is still pretty shameful uh, for that, my family and that church community, certainly. Yeah, oh, thank wow. you. Well, I'm glad that you're here. So now that you're speaking, you're speaking the truth for a lot of women, actually. And that's actually a lot of women who are now this, mm-hmm. the one month before their wedding day who was mm-hmm. thinking about, mm-hmm. I'm, how do I get out of this? And um, I have friends who actually went through with their marriages when they had doubts and mm-hmm. wish that they mm-hmm. had gone through with the cancellation of the wedding. <laughs> no names mentioned. <laughs> They're friends of the show. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I feel like that's I mean, way listen. more common. I, I I felt like I was the first woman in history that was ever experiencing that. Like I was somehow ungrateful for this party that everyone was throwing me or that I was ungrateful that I had found a good man. I mean, there was so many messages that were embedded, not just about my decision to get married or not to get married, but about what I was supposed to do in the world, who I was supposed to be. And those messages had started well before I even met this man. Right. And those were the ones that were in my own head as I was having this intense anxiety about getting married. I was I also had those other voices in my head going, uh, well, this is, uh, you know, this is just your temptation. Like in my church growing up, every doubt that anyone had about uh, what whatever they were doing in their life was some sort of like temptation from the devil. Like it honestly sounds crazy to say it out loud now, (laughs) but this was like. This was, you know, embedded. It's not. not, I mean, no, it's not. It's not not crazy to hear you say it, but um, it's always like 
the human experience is to mm-hmm. be able mm-hmm. to resist all those t- temptations. And so the temptations are sort of um, um, in front of your eyes in, in, in a sense. Right. And if That's your right. faith is strong, then you'll be able to resist the, the temptation. I think that even that mm. um, belief is also in Islam mm-hmm. also, that the temptation is everywhere if you, if you don't know how to resist it. So it doesn't sound strange, but what is dangerous is mm-hmm. that everything becomes that mm-hmm. and everything is used against you in terms of trying mm-hmm. to make decisions on a, on a day-to-day from minute to mm-hmm. massive ones, like getting married to one yeah. person for the rest of your life. Um, eternal hell, well, it can yes. also be like eternal hell in a marriage if, you, yes. if you're with somebody who is not compassionate, somebody who is not loving, mm-hmm. somebody who's not acknowledging who you are. So, I mean, we've all lived through that now. And we've seen the I other side. Die. Oh my God, you didn't die. <laughs> I know. I think we, uh, I, I kind of wonder how many uh, women are out there in the world that think that they will literally die by grief or by terror or by their anxiety or their mm-hmm. guilt or their shame. And yeah. it's just not like that. It's it's much worse in our heads than it is in real life. It is hard. Oh my God, is it hard? There is so much about divorce that I feel like should be so yeah. much easier for people who want out of marriages. Yeah. But um, but the feelings didn't mm-hmm. kill me, and I thought that they would. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry to hear that. So you've gone through some. Oh my gosh! Stuff. Like a nanosecond. How long were you it married? Was less for? than a year, technically, and then in uh, in California, it took okay. forever for the divorce to go through. So I think technically, I was married for about two, three years. Really? Uh, but we only lived together for a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. So, but that's good that you you realized that early and then you wanted to terminate terminate that early also um because i know well and even in my case i was almost together for almost a decade so that was a long time of Mm -hmm. being in a relationship that's not good for you you know and no children yeah no children okay so that's that's also good for you that um Mm -hmm. to start to have the ability to start fresh so what's it like for you now (laughs) so you have a thriving career um and uh, yeah. on and off Instagram. I yeah, I, w- I would say that um, it, it what what you see now, what I talk about now, is not what my lived experience was for many years after I filed for divorce. There was mm-hmm. lots of religious trauma that came up. There was lots of ways that I had to make sense of my own community, my own experience. Um, there was also lots of financial abuse that went on in the marriage. And so in the divorce, oh my God, I was destitute, destitute. Um, and in a grad program Mm -hmm. and every month was like, do I eat or do I pay rent? It was, it was a a horrid experience and incredibly stressful while I was learning how to support the mental health experiences of other people. I mean, it was such a jarring experience to be in, but, um, each year got a little bit better Each year, I got a little bit more out of debt. Uh, This is a part of divorces that I feel like women are really scared of is the debt and the legal fees and all of that. And I am here to tell you that you'll make a payment plan and you'll pay it off. (laughs) You just will. You'll pay it off. If it takes 10 years, you'll you'll pay pay it off. off. It just, it is what it is. And and your your mental health and your well-being are much more important than whatever bills you've got coming in every month. So um, so I, it gradually got better. I felt like I was finally getting my feet underneath me, um, and, you know, made the, made some of those big moves to try to start dating again, uh, which was very scary, uh, very overwhelming. Oh and I felt like I took a long time to do that. I, 
had a couple of false starts. I'm very grateful for those relationships, but certainly did not, they weren't what I wanted. Um, and then now I am in a committed partnership. I don't know if I'll ever get married again. Uh, I just, I, there is no part of me that longs for it. I don't need it. My partner doesn't need it. Um, it's just an interesting thing. I, it's so strange that I could have had an experience that was in, in relative time, less than a year of my life. Uh, but it was so intense and it was so awful. And the fallout was so big afterwards. And the getting my, getting myself back up again Mm. was so arduous that I cannot imagine putting myself in that position again. I mean, even if I do totally, totally Mm. love another person, I just can't imagine. I just don't need it. I don't need the, the piece of paper. So I don't know what that hurdle will look like in the next couple of years. But as of now, I just can't imagine myself uh, doing the marriage thing again. Well, yeah, that was a very painful and you know expensive mm-hmm. price to the way to learn something. But I'm glad that you know you you came out mm-hmm. of it um, wiser, you know, and now you're mm-hmm. happy. It seems like you're very very happy. So living in LA, <laughs> you're going to come and visit as as, Jakarta. As soon as this freaking pandemic, we'll just calm down and go sit down in the corner. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Or vice versa. Yes, please. Some, I'm ready please. to go. I'll, I'll come I would love that. You. You're welcome I'll come anytime. i you in Los Angeles. Uh, so that's fantastic. What's You already mentioned that you, you miss nothing about being married, being married because that's actually one of the questions I always ask people is like, um, what do you nothing. miss most being nothing. married? But you, you say that you, you nothing, nothing. And that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> well, fantastic because you know that. Well, yeah. Knowing what I know now, I'm 50-50. And the reason for that is because yeah. I had a, a marriage that was very loving and mm. and then I had a marriage that was very abusive. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. you know, that was a 50-50 yeah. odds. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think, I'll date again, I think, but I don't think um, I'll, I'll remarry because as you get old, as you get older, that point that you had about um, economic resilience, yeah, if mm-hmm. you have a long enough run, time runway, mm-hmm then you can actually yeah, recover from a lot of things. Um, right now, I'm mm. saving for my daughter's college education as well as retirement at the same time and yep. rebuilding from a divorce. So, yeah, you're sort of mm-hmm. like, well, does it economically make sense yep. to remarry? Yeah, it is a gamble. Because that's actually and, a huge gamble. And I kind of wonder, oh. like, does it prove something? Does it <laughs> prove something to be married? Or is there mm. other ways that you could wow. be just as committed without having to put yourself in a situation that has been traumatic before. It just has been. It, it's not always going to be that way. Mm-hmm. I think marriage can be so beautiful for so many people. Um, I wish them well in that, but right. it proves nothing to me to be married to someone. Right. I understand your point completely. And then, I'm, you know, it's what I can also mm-hmm. identify is your religious upbringing that mm-hmm. it's very important to have that family center and to have um, that doing thing doing things in accordance to the religion because in mm-hmm. Indonesia it's premarital sex is taboo it's it's unspoken even though many do it um, but it's like mm-hmm. e- there's just one name for a woman that does that mm-hmm. and it's not allowed for a woman to live with a man when they are unmarried I mean mm-hmm. it's actually even I think law. In, in, in our country that an unmarried man and an unmarried woman cannot live together in this country. So it's not even something mm. that's um, possible for mo- many 
um, to have sort of that kind of a committed relationship without being married. And also the perception from elders, from uh, parents is like, mm. what's happened to my children or what's happened to my daughter that, that she's had to live like this, that she's, mm. ha- she's mm-hmm. like so down on her fortune. Her life is so uh, unlucky that she had a bad marriage and now she's unmarried. So you would see very often cases of women who would be remarried four times, five times, mm-hmm. because they want to be in a committed relationship in a that's wonderful in a marriage that's wonderful, but they haven't found the right one, and there's no mm-hmm. way in between husbands yeah. one and two there was. Yeah, really I mean, no I think that that speaks to systems that you are know. in place that are repressive towards women. That if you if there's no space for yeah. anyone to ask questions to be in a long term relationship and really like work out the kinks before you make a lifelong commitment, then you are going to find women that are having to jump from marriage to marriage because that's the only thing that's available to them to get their small little piece of heaven. Their small, the thing that they're hoping for. I think it's such a, it's such a testament to the the long-term repression of women in so many societies. Um, Americans are not exempt from that. Uh, We just have the privilege of being able to live with whomever we want. Um, and I, that is a privilege. I, I know that that's not extended yeah. to everyone. Um, and I wish that everyone had that option because why do people care? <laughs> why do systems care? Why do systems care? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's the, it's the wrong kind of systems that's, um, mm-hmm. it's trying to control many, um, unfortunately. Um, so without it becoming too dark of our conversation about, <laughs> about religious um, customs and Mm -hmm. how that doesn't really favor women. But if you were to have a daughter, and what would you tell her about being married or about finding a spouse? What would that message be for you? Take your time. Really relish every little piece of every stage of dating and getting to know someone. And when you have questions, you just take your time and you get those questions answered. And don't feel rushed down any aisle because as soon as the wedding is over, you will feel very, very, very alone in that new living room that you're sitting in um, with a husband that doesn't treat you well. So, yeah. Oh. Well, one step thought of that is probably it's important to have um, a safety network for young women who mm-hmm. are about to get married um, or even young teens entering puberty and whatnot. You want to have your daughters the ability to mm-hmm. ask questions about dating and sex and marriage to somebody who's mm-hmm. not you, you know, but somebody you trust, somebody who's not going to feed them also mm-hmm. strange ideas in right. their heads as well. I think probably um, I would do that. And I have a few friends that I have opened mm-hmm. up to my daughter in the sense that they, she can ask questions about you know, people do this when they want somebody like, oh, who's your aspirational uh, person mm-hmm. that you want to role model that you want to, but in, in terms of careers, you know, like, oh, that person's a doctor, you want to be a doctor, maybe speak to them. But maybe speak to somebody uh, to, to have your children say like, and for m- mothers out there, don't take this personally. Whose marriage do you think is, seems mm-hmm. ideal to you? And maybe you want to have a mm-hmm. conversation with that. And I think that would be a lot of a betrayal for a lot of moms to thinking, you wouldn't ask me about questions mm-hmm. about marriage. Well, you're the mom. Well, so and be, beyond that, I think questions. that there's some accountability. You know, I think as women, we have to pay attention mm-hmm. to what we've, ro- what we've 
played out for younger generations. And there is accountability for that. Yeah. Yeah. If if you haven't modeled how to advocate for oneself, if you haven't felt like you could advocate for yourself, then your daughter didn't see that. So if she wants to go somewhere else and ask questions, that might not be a direct slight to you. It might just be that she doesn't want your your kind of suffering. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's so much truth to that because yeah, I didn't step in for my daughter quite a bit when um, my mm-hmm. ex-husband was abusive towards her, emotionally abusive or being, you know, what's in, in the hood of parenting. Um, like, But it was manipulation and mm-hmm. it's a lot of gaslighting and it's mm-hmm. a lot of controlling from, um, you know, mm-hmm. stepfather to, da- to daughter, like in, in mm-hmm. that role, parent to child. And I think about that and I think that was the biggest betrayal mm-hmm. of all for me was that yeah it's a transgression of you know like a violated trust in that sense and that alone would make me not never want to remarry Mm -hmm. i mean unfortunately right especially if like single moms out there you have to really be careful to take the time to think about well i know for a lot of women it's an economic decision to remarry i just know it and it's, mm-hmm. it's just the truth for that. And I think mm-hmm. just make mm-hmm. your own money. Yeah. Just make your own yeah. way. <laughs> it's easier yeah, and, um, and it might challenge people in a different way. And that's okay. Challenge right. is, should be expected in life. I just want to say before we move on that your reflection of having betrayed your daughter mm-hmm. in some way is the sort of bravery that she is going to internalize and take with her somewhere in the future. That that oh, sort of like so. just the ability to be able to self-reflect, I think, is what all daughters long for in their moms and all moms mm-hmm. could do a little of extra work around. Like we could all do it. We could all oh do a little bit of that. Goodness, I didn't think we were going to cry in this show. I, I think it's like mm-hmm. the first time. Or maybe not the first time, but it's like, oh, goodness. Yeah, you know, this is why we have the show. This is why we have people like you speaking out and... um to sort of uh, uncover all the taboos that we have around being married, about parenting. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard, you know. But we'll get through it. You know, what, what do we have? Like we have like another what, 50 <laughs> years of living. <laughs> yeah. <lucky>. Yeah. <laughs> and if we do, That's what right. kind of 50 years right. would we like to have? And so, you know, God willing that we have, you know, we'd be blessed with 50 more healthy years. And so... Healthy and happy year, right. so hopefully for that. Okay. So that's that's in terms of the questions. I think we've covered all of that. And um, any questions you want to have for me? I don't know. You've, like, you've shared so much with me today. I so appreciate it. I got to know you a little bit, which is always an honor. So, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, it's been, it's been fantastic. I okay. want to have you back on the show again. I think the next time I'm going to have you on the show, okay. my daughter, I think. And then so to introduce you. I'd love right? that. So that'd be a cool thing. I'd love that. Always a privilege. Yeah.